So always eating whatever you want will not make you healthy. You can just look at me and it proves that. Um, because for the last couple of weeks, I've just been eating whatever I want, uh, whether that's eating out or whether that's donuts or cake or, you know, sometimes I'm just sitting there on the couch and I'm like, I'm going to go buy a cake. And I'm going to eat that cake. Um, that does not make me healthy. And what happens is I start to get a little bit of a gut or a lot of a gut. I don't have energy. And if you eat whatever you want, you're going to be physically unhealthy. At the same time, getting whatever you want will make you spiritually unhealthy. Self-denial and serving others is an important discipline to become physically healthy. You're going to have to uh, deny yourself some things you want if you're going to be physically healthy. But it's also an important discipline to become spiritually healthy. And last week we kicked off a new series about the spiritual disciplines. How to develop our spiritual muscles so that we can look more like Jesus. Just like we have to exercise our physical muscles so that we can be stronger, so that we can be healthier. We have to exercise our spiritual muscles so that we can be spiritually healthier. Now, some people are super fit on the outside, right? They're like, they got a six pack, you know, and they are ripped and uh, they work out all the time. But on the inside, their souls are unhealthy. Their souls look like a 400 pound person who can't get off the couch on the inside. Remember that Pixar movie, Wally? And it was in the future, and humans had these hover chairs, and they had little entertainment screens, and robots did everything for them, and they just sat there in their bluff. And so at the end of the movie, spoilers if you haven't seen this 10-year-old movie, at the end of the movie, they get up and they try walking, and like all their bones are mush, and they can barely walk, you know, because their muscles have atrophied. And some of us, spiritually, we may look fit on the outside, but inside, spiritually, we're like those jelly people from Wally. We're, we're completely um, unhealthy. Many times we want to obey the things that Jesus commanded. We look at the things that Jesus said and we, we recognize our lives would be better if we could do what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything. Man, my life would be better if I could do that, right? So why is it so hard? Why can't I do it? Jesus said, forgive those who have wronged you. And I'm like, if I could forgive that person, I know my life would be better. I wouldn't be racked with this bitterness. I wouldn't focus on it all the time. My life would be better. But it's so hard. How do I do it? Many times what Jesus commanded seems impossible for us because we haven't developed our spiritual muscles. And you probably know some people who have been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and they're exactly the same as they were five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. And you're like, you're like, they're not loving people more, they're not forgiving more, they're not less anxious. Why is there no change? Because they're not developing their spiritual muscles. Just as if I never exercise and I keep eating poorly, I'm going to have a heart attack and die in a few years. There's a lot of people who are on life support spiritually because they've never developed their spiritual muscles. And so we started talking about how practicing the spiritual disciplines that Jesus practiced allows us to build up the spiritual strength to live and love like Jesus in our daily life. Because if I tried bench pressing 200 pounds, no matter how much I wanted to do it, how much I tried to psych myself up, how much I roared, I just couldn't do it because I don't have the muscle strength. But if I started working out with smaller weights, and build up my physical muscles, I could get to a point where I could lift 200 pounds. And so, if we want to live and love like Jesus, 
That's going to be impossible unless we develop our spiritual muscles. And so these spiritual exercises, sometimes called spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, are how we develop the spiritual muscles to live and love like Jesus. And I believe our world would be a better place if we lived and loved like Jesus. If people say, I believe in Jesus, that doesn't dramatically change the world. The world changes when people who say they believe in Jesus live and love like Jesus. I think if we lived and loved like Jesus and we introduced new people to the way Jesus lived and loved, I think it would change our families, our workplaces, our communities, our nation, and the world. So last week we talked about our first spiritual discipline. We talked about solitude and silence. How Jesus would get away and sit quietly and pray. He would get away from the crowd and go to a quiet place. And we talked about how in our busy, noisy world, how important it is, how our souls need silence and solitude. And this week we're talking about our next spiritual disciplines. We're talking about self-denial and serving. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. This is what it says in Mark chapter 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to him, You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Try to say that before you guys pass. <laughs> you know, there's too many words in there. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, when the other ten disciples heard this, they began to get indignant or angry with James and John. And Jesus called them all over to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be the greatest disciple among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first as a follower of Jesus among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man, this is how Jesus often referred to himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're at our spiritual best, not when we get what we want, but when we give what we have. You remember that old saying, it's better to give than it is to receive? How can that be true? Like, would you rather pay someone that thousand dollars, or would you rather somebody give you a thousand dollars? I want a thousand dollars, right? I don't like having to pay someone a thousand dollars. So, so what is that saying saying? Like, what is the point it's trying to get across? It's, it's teaching us a spiritual lesson. It's better for us spiritually when we give rather than when we get everything we want. Giving builds our spiritual muscles. Getting and controlling weakens our spiritual muscles. If everything is just brought to us, if everything is just given to us, we become like those humans on Wally, -E, right? We just become jello blobs. Nothing, we never work out our spiritual muscles. And so in this story, we have James and John, two of these disciples of Jesus, part of his inner circle. James, John, and Peter were kind of his closest friends of the 12 disciples. And so they come up to him away from the other disciples and they say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Whatever we're about to say, just go ahead and agree that you're going to do it. 
Before we tell you what it is, just go ahead and promise you're going to do it. Now, have you ever done this to somebody? I remember my grandmother, she grew up in Kentucky, and uh, she went to a log uh, cabin, one room, schoolhouse. I mean, it was rural Kentucky. And um, she had a church she, her family attended, and they had attended for generations there in Kentucky. She said, that's the only church I go to in the world. And so most of the year, because she lived in Tennessee and not in Kentucky, she never went to church. And so my sister and I, when we were kids and we, my family started attending church, we were like, we're going to get grandma to come to church. So we printed out, we had just got a computer and a printer, and we printed out a blank piece of paper. And at the bottom it said, sign here and date. And we said, grandma, sign this if you love us. And then she said, okay. And so she signed it and dated it. Then we put it back in the printer and we printed out a letter that says, I hereby promise to go to church this Sunday with my grandkids. And so I printed it back out and I said, Grandma, you signed this. You're legally bound now to go to church with us. And she goes, you got me. And she came to church with us that Sunday. But that's a little bit what the disciples are doing here. They're like, Jesus, promise you'll do whatever we ask. Sign a blank check and then we'll tell you what we're going to want. And... Um, a few years ago, I was in India, and there were some Christian schools that were started to teach children English in these remote parts of India. And they were like, you can tell my kid about Jesus as long as you teach him English because I want them to have a better life than I do. And so I was over there working with some of these schools, and we were in some of these rural villages, and uh, there was a translator with us. And they'd prepare food for us, and they'd, they'd bring something, and they're like, oh, eat, Alex, eat this. I'm like, what is it? And the translator was like, just eat it. And I'm like, no, no, tell me what it is, and then I'll eat it. He's like, no, 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 eat it, and then I'll tell you what it is. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. But that's kind of what the disciples were doing here. They're like, Jesus, just go ahead and promise you're going to do whatever we ask, then we'll tell you what it is. But Jesus doesn't fall for this trick. Instead, he says, what do you want? Now, before we get too, too harsh on these disciples, isn't this what we do with Jesus all the time? We're like, Jesus, just do whatever I want. Just whatever I tell you to do, just do it. Like, there shouldn't be a discussion. I know you're God and you know everything. You've been doing this longer than I have. But you know what, Jesus? If you would just do whatever I wanted, everything would be better. Jesus here, though, he makes them say it out loud, not because he doesn't know what they want, because he wants them to have to verbalize what they're saying. And here's what they say. We want to be on your right and on your left when you're glorified. Now, for the disciples, here's what they thought. The Messiah, the promised person from God, would come into this world, defeat all the enemies of Israel, and become king. Now what, Jesus, what God had promised was that the Messiah would come and restore the relationship between God and humanity. And they thought that would happen by a person ruling on a throne. And so what they thought they were asking for was, we want to sit on the little thrones on either side of you, Jesus, when you get on your throne. What they didn't realize was Jesus was going to be glorified on a cross, not on a throne. And so what they were asking for was, can we be crucified on your right and your left? They didn't realize that, right? That's what Jesus realized they were asking. But they thought they were asking to be on either side of his throne. And Jesus was like, I'm going to be glorified on a cross. We don't walk around with little throne necklaces, right? We walk around with cross necklaces. You see people with cross necklaces. Because the cross exemplifies the glorification of Jesus. This is the pivotal moment for Jesus. They thought they were asking to rule with him, but they were asking to die with him. And I love what he says. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. And so many times that's us. We don't know what we're asking 
for. Sometimes what we think we want is not what we really want. What we think we want is not really what our soul wants. What we think will make us feel good actually will make our soul weak. Have you ever got something and thought, man, after I get this, I'll never have another, another desire. If I just get this, everything will be good. So when I was a kid, um, the Nintendo 64 game console came out. And I was like, this is the greatest moment in human history. <laughs> the Nintendo 64 has come out, and I would like beg every day, I'm like, mom and dad, I need this. If I get this, I'll never need another Christmas present ever. Like if I get a Nintendo 64, I will never have another desire. This is the last thing I'll ever need for the rest of my life. You know, I'm like 11 years old, you know, but I'm like, I'll never have another desire. I'll never need anything. If I have a Nintendo 64, I have everything I'll need. And I talked about it every day, constantly. It's the only thing I talked about. I wanted a Nintendo 64. And so on Christmas, I opened up my Nintendo 64, and I was like, yes, I have it. And then I realized, oh, I need games. <laughs> you know, you get a Nintendo 64, but it's no good unless you have a game to play on it. And then once I had a game, I was like, oh, I need another game. I also need another controller so other people can play. And then you know what? A few years later, the GameCube came out, and I was like, I need the GameCube. If I got the GameCube, then I would never need anything else ever again. And don't we do this in our life all the time? We say, God, you just give me that car. You just give me that person. You just give me that opportunity. If you just make this work, then I'll never need anything ever again. And what he whispers to us is, hey, you don't know what you're asking for. You know, there's sometimes where I sit around and I say, I could really go for some ice cream. I could really go for some ice cream. I'm lactose intolerant, so that's not a good plan. But I think, I really want ice cream. And then about 45 minutes after eating ice cream, I'm like, I didn't want ice cream. What was wrong with me? I shouldn't have asked for ice cream. And so Jesus here gives them this metaphor. He says, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized? Jesus isn't talking about literally drinking from a cup or literally being submerged in water here. He's talking about, are you able to suffer like I'm going to suffer? Are you willing to die like I'm willing to die? And they're like, yes, we are. They're so confident. They're like, we can do this. Because they don't realize what they're asking. They don't realize the depth of what he's saying. And then Jesus lets them in on a secret. He says, James and John, you will die. You won't die on the cross next to me because other people have already been set to die on the cross next to me. Remember one of the guys who died next to Jesus? He put his faith and trust in Jesus at that final moment, and Jesus said, you're going to spend eternity with me. Jesus is like, I'm not letting that guy go. He's still going to die next to me so that I can reach him. But he tells James and John, you are going to die. You are going to suffer. In fact, in Acts chapter 12, it tells us that King Herod kills James. And then church history tells us that John was boiled in a vat of oil. He was baptized in this hot oil that burned off his skin by the Romans. It didn't kill him, and they exiled him to work on the mines of Patmos, this island out in the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where we find him in the book of Revelation, when he writes Revelation, and he says, Jesus appeared to me and showed me the things that are to come. And so they were going to suffer, and they were going to die. But then the other disciples hear about this. They're like, wait a minute, going behind our back and trying to get the best spots? How dare you do that? They wanted to be in a position of power and control. They wanted to be in those positions. They were like, how come James and John get over there? How come they get the special uh, privilege of sitting on the right and left of Jesus? 
They weren't mad that such a thing was being asked. They were mad that they didn't ask it first. And so often I think we get indignant with people who are famous or people who are in authority, not because we recognize that fame and authority and control become spiritually dangerous for our soul, but because we think it should have been us. We want to be in those places. See, our culture celebrates the educated, the rich, the famous, the powerful. Our normal human tendency is self-promotion, not self-denial. And that's why Jesus introduces the spiritual discipline of self-denial and serving others. This is going to go contrary to everything that we humanly want to do and tend to do. You know, when I meet somebody, the most impressive thing to me is when somebody's not trying to impress me. They're just like, hey, hey, nice to meet you. And we start having a conversation. When somebody comes up to me, they're like, graduated from Princeton. I've got this degree, this degree, this degree. I'm also involved here, 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 here. I've got this much money. Check out my watch. I'm like, why are you so insecure that you're trying to get a stranger to affirm you? You know, like, what's going on here? I think it's most impressive when somebody doesn't try to impress. Everyone is trying to be somebody and talk about why they are great. Self-promotion is humanity's standard operating practice. And Jesus says, if you do that, your soul will be weak. If you want to build your spiritual muscles, it has to be about self-denial and serving others. It exercises your spiritual muscles to push someone else forward and take a step back. It exercises your spiritual muscles to let someone else choose and not take control. It exercises your spiritual muscles to serve someone instead of demanding for your rights and needs to be met. And Jesus drops this profound truth on his followers here. He says, if you want to be the greatest as a follower of Jesus, the greatest will not be someone who has a large crowd who will do whatever he will not be someone who has lots of people reporting to him and a lot of people who will do whatever he asks. He says the greatest follower of Jesus will be a servant to everyone. Not to some people, not just to those people who are nice and deserve it, to everyone. The translation I'm using here says they will be a slave to all. Sometimes servant sounds a little softer, right? Because we're like, servant gets paid at least. And he's like, this is literally... You choose to be a slave because that exercises your soul. Greatness is not gaining, but giving. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus said this is exactly what he exemplified when he served humanity and died in humanity's place. Jesus says, this is what I've practiced in front of you and what I'm going to practice as I go to the cross. He came into the world healing and feeding and ultimately dying to ransom us from sin and death and despair. God had every right to come into this world and be like, I'm God, get on your knees now, or the fire's going to come. But instead he came and he's like, oh, you're sick, let me heal you. Oh, you're hungry, let me feed you. Oh, you're in need, let me clothe you. And he says, if you want to exercise your soul, if you want to build up your spiritual muscles, act like I acted. Act, live a life of self-denial and service to others. If we're going to live and love like Jesus, we need to to deny what we want and meet the needs of other people. Denying what we want is a spiritual exercise that builds our spiritual muscles. Getting what we want all the time atrophies our spiritual muscles. It makes us selfish instead of serving. It makes us spiritually weak. 
So strong followers of Jesus are not forged in comfort and excess and getting everything they want, but they're, they're forged in challenge and sacrifice and serving others. Sometimes God says no to build our spiritual muscles, and sometimes God wants us to say no to build our spiritual muscles. He wants us to choose to say no to something we want so that we can serve someone else, so we can work out our soul. One of the ways that Jesus practiced self-denial was fasting. We see he fasted for 40 days before his ministry. And throughout his ministry, he mentions fasting and refers to it. In Matthew 6, 16, he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, because they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. One of the ways that we can practice self-denial is by going without food, by choosing to fast from food. Jesus practiced the spiritual discipline of self-denial when he fasted. He chose to go without food to focus on prayer. And notice in Matthew 6.16 there, it says, when you fast, not if you fast. It was expected that the followers of Jesus would follow in his practice of self-denial to strengthen their souls. In Jesus' day, every good Jew, every practicing Jew, fasted at least one day a week. Early Christians, we know, in the uh, first couple hundred years after Jesus, they fasted from food one day a week, and they used the money that they saved by not eating that day to give to the poor. You know, sometimes I look at a noble cause, and Darby and I support some missionaries overseas. We support the work here at Horizon. Uh, we support some other organizations that we believe in. And sometimes I look at a noble cause and I'm like, man, I'd really like to give to that, but our budget's pretty much maxed out. Well, if I didn't eat a day, I'd at least have an extra, you know, $20 or so to throw in another direction. And so the early church said, hey, we're going to practice self-denial. We're going to go without food this day every week. And we're going to do that not only so that we can build our spiritual muscles, so that we can also give to impact this world. Now, you say, Alex, at this point, I'm sorry that I came this morning because self-denial is horrible. Like, and that's not fun. Like, why did you tell me this message? I just wouldn't have shown up if I knew it was about self-denial and serving others, right? Does anybody like dieting? Is it fun to diet? No, it's horrible. You want to eat what you want, but why do you diet? You diet because you like the result, right? You want to look better. You want to feel better. You want to have more energy. You want to live longer. No one diets because they like it. People diet because they like the result. It takes willpower to say no to dessert when you're dieting, and it takes willpower to say no to your comfort when you're practicing the spiritual discipline of self-denial. It builds your spiritual muscles when you say no to what you want to serve someone else. We say no to dessert when we're dieting because we want to look healthier, we want to feel better, and we say no to our comfort because we want to be spiritually strong enough to not worry, to forgive, to let go of bitterness, to be spiritually strong enough to turn from the selfish, destructive practices that are hurting our relationships with people. And so often we look around and we're like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could love like that. I wish I could forgive like that. I wish I could obey this command. But then we don't want to do the spiritual work to develop our spiritual muscles. And self-denial also has another benefit. It makes you appreciate what you have. 
So a few years ago, this was really stupid. This, you can follow this under Alex being stupid category. But I heard about someone who, like Jesus, fasted for 40 days. And I was like, if he did it, I can do it. Now, that's not a good reason to start doing anything. If you're like, competition, I could be more spiritually mature than that guy, you know? And so what I decided was, I'm going to see how long I can go without eating. So I went a long time, and I was a miserable person, and it, part of that was I wasn't doing it for spiritual reasons, right? I was doing it to show somebody what I, wanted, what I was capable of. But at the end of that, I literally was happy to eat any food possible. I was so hungry. If you had pull, pulled out some kale, I don't like kale. Kale is nasty tasting. But I would have been like, that's delicious. I will literally eat anything because I am hungry. Self-denial tends to make us appreciate what we have. Self-indulgence, getting everything we want, makes us complain about what we do not have yet. Self-denial heals your heart of complaining. The more you complain, the less you enjoy your life, the less thankful you'll be for what you have. So many people are miserable even though they have so much. Why? We're complaining because we've been all about self-indulgence instead of about self-denial. Self-denial changes our perspective so we appreciate what we have and all of a sudden our life that looks so bad seems pretty good. We live in a culture that is always complaining and I feel like in some ways the internet has become this giant forum for everybody to get together and talk about everything that they're unhappy about. Self-denial cures your soul of complaining. I remember when I was a kid, sometimes my mom would make food I didn't like, and uh, she would sit down, she's like, you have to eat this before you leave the table, and I'm like, I don't want to eat this, this does not look good, I do not enjoy this, I do not want it, and she'd always say, this kid's starving in Africa, this kid's starving in Africa, and I'm like, okay, you know, like, I'm sorry for that, but, but what she was saying was, if you were hungrier, you would be thankful for what you had rather than complaining about what you have. And so many times we complain about what God has given us instead of appreciating what he has given us. And self-denial helps change our perspective. And you go without food for a day, and you're like, God, I'm just thankful that I have these stale crackers. You know, like, I'll take stale crackers any day over nothing. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus was talking to his followers in another place, and he says this, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what you have to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if you gain everything in the whole world and yet you lose or forfeit your soul? If you really want to live and love like Jesus, you're, you're going to have to, to deny how you naturally want to live. You're going to have to die to self-promotion and follow Jesus' example of self-denial. The more you try to control your life, the more you'll find it spinning out of control and slipping through your fingers. But if you give your life to Jesus, you will never have control, but he will never lose control. What profit is there? If you gain money and fame and power, but you're spiritually weak. You live in a culture and a world that says, as long as you have money, fame, and power, it doesn't matter how spiritually strong you are. 
But what I encounter out here in our community is people who have money and power and fame, but they can't stop being anxious. They can't forgive. They can't love the person across the street. And what they found is gaining everything and being spiritually weak equates to nothing. So what does this look like in our everyday lives? Because the spiritual disciplines are not something that you just like one time hit it hard and then the rest of the year do nothing. If you did that in the gym, if you were like one day a year I work out, I'm going to run 30 miles, I'm going to work out like crazy and then the rest of the year I'm not going to care at all and I'm just going to go back to sitting on the couch and eating everything I want, would you be healthy? No. You'd be super sore for a week afterwards, and then you'd go back to being unhealthy, right? You need to have a habit of the spiritual disciplines if you're going to develop the spiritual muscles to live and love like Jesus. You need to integrate them into your everyday lives and week. So what does it look like? What are some ways, these aren't the only ways, but what are some ways that you could implement self-denial into your everyday lives? Remember what I said last week, right? You have to commit to a spiritual discipline as an individual, but it's enjoyed as a community. If you go to the gym, no one can make you go. You have to want to do it. You have to commit on your own. But if you go with a friend, it's a lot more fun, and you'll tend to do it a lot longer than if you go by yourself. So as an individual, you could, for instance, fast from two meals in a day once a week. Or you could fast sun up to sundown one day a week. And you could use that time that you usually use to eat or to pre prepare food, to pray, to sit silently, to thank God for all that you have. You could also use self-denial, implement self-denial by saying no to something you want so you can say yes to something that benefits someone else. You could give something away. And some of the ways that you can enjoy self-denial and service and community is maybe fast with a spouse or partner or friend. It's always easier if Darby and I fast from a meal on the same day because she's not eating a delicious meal in front of me when I'm trying to go without food, right? And we can encourage each other like, hey, stick with it. You know, we'll eat tonight. We're going to skip breakfast and lunch so that we can pray about this and really pour some passion into this and build up those spiritual muscles of self-denial. Um, you can encourage each other, you can pray together, and then at the end you can share with each other and be like, hey, it was so hard when I went without breakfast, but you know what? I took that time to pray, and that 15 minutes I usually eat, I spent that in prayer, and that's a lot longer than I normally do, and you can share about what you're experience, experiencing. Maybe another way you can implement this is you can gather some people, some friends, and say, hey, we're going to do a weekend project that doesn't benefit us, that benefits others. Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to give up a latte every week. Every Friday I get a latte, and I'm going to give it up every week, and I'm going to set aside that $5 every week and $20 a month then that was going to something I enjoyed and was good and pleasurable, and I'm instead going to offer it over here and help build wells in Africa, or I'm going to donate it to somewhere where it's going to benefit someone else. These small acts of self-denial and service to other people they begin to build up our spiritual muscle strength. And over time, what we find is, now I can love that person I never could love. Now I can forgive that person I never could forgive. Now I'm not anxious. When Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything, and constant anxiety plagues our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming into our world and being a ransom for us. We were kidnapped by sin and death, and hell and you came in and said 
If you will let those lives go, you can have life itself. And life itself died in our place so that we might be free. Thank you for being our ransom. Thank you for paying the cost for us to know you and be free to live and love like you with your own blood. We're grateful that you didn't stay dead, but you came back to life. And you're working in our hearts and minds, in our communities, in workplaces, in homes, even now. We're so grateful for the life that you lived. And we're thankful that you invite us to live that life too. God, I pray that you will build our spiritual muscles. And we know, God, you're always doing that. Through circumstances and through people, through situations. But Lord, many times we're fighting against the growth you're trying to produce in us instead of leaning into it by exercising and practicing the spiritual disciplines that you practice. God, teach us to practice these spiritual disciplines so that in five years we live and love more like Jesus and in ten years we live and love more like Jesus. And by the end of our lives, people look at us and they clearly see Jesus because we've been practicing the behaviors that you practice. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.